and welcome to these audio didactic recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub. Series 7, Session 3. It's Thursday, the 21st of October, 2021. Welcome back to the Echo Network. The session's titled Understanding COVID Positive Care Pathways, Part 2, Clinical Assessment. In our last session, our clinical didactic focused on an overview of COVID care pathways and rural GP Karen Ahrens described the triage and risk stratification processes that form the entry point of the patient care journey. Through our case discussions, we considered relevant information and knowledge that GPs and practice nurses, as well as health services and organisations, would need to consider should we bring these pathways to bear in primary care settings. In this morning's session, we'll um, progress through these clinical pathways into the management stages and dual trained ED and GP clinician Belinda Khan will bring us a, a description of clinical deterioration and remote clinical assessment. We'll bring you updates from our health services and primary health networks about our, how our systems for escalation and after hours care are shaping up. And as we plan to do through our COVID care series, we'll be putting principles, processes and into practice through our clinical COVID case discussions. This morning's session aims to respond to the following questions. For a patient with comorbidities, when's the riskiest time in the illness? When should we consider escalating care? And who do we escalate care to and through which communication mechanisms? So let's get underway. I'm Bianca Forrester, GP, and I'll be facilitating today's meeting alongside Gemma Misbach and Fiona Quigley, our ECHO coordinators. Um, so what have we got on today? Uh, Kate Graham, will, our COVID editor for Health Pathways, will bring us some, uh, some uh, well, we've already done the vaccine coverage data and hopefully you've seen that we're uh, really sitting close to 95% across our whole region, which is fantastic. And um, I think mostly double dosed at 70%. Um, Kate Graham will bring us a COVID update for primary care um, and take us through relevant guidelines that are in play at the moment. Dr. Jeff Urquhart, GPLU from Barwon Health, will bring us a, a, an overview of the COVID-19 remote patient monitoring program through Barwon and Southwest. Dr. Belinda Khan will bring us our didactic this morning on COVID assessment. And um, we welcome Dr. Anita Phillips to bring us our case presentation. So, so thanks, um, Anita, for um, championing uh, case presentations. I'd encourage you all to, uh, when you do see cases, um, do shoot them through to me. Just reach out and uh, hopefully it was really easy, Anita, to do that, um, to prepare for this morning. And no doubt everyone's going to really enjoy learning from your uh, early experiences in managing COVID. Um, and also on panel this morning, we've got Dr. Carolyn Bartolo, infectious diseases physician through Bowen Health, um, Bowen Southwest Public Health Unit, and also through Ballarat Health Services. Um, we're all going to be part of the discussion and we're going to bring um, uh, finish off with an update from the PHN from Miss Linda Govan. Um, so I think with that, that's probably it from me. Gemma, I'm going to hand over to you, Kate. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, so in a few updates from us, um, we've got just a reminder that the VIXIS clinics are, now have a central intake. So all referrals should be submitted via, this, via that link that's appearing on Health Pathways as well. Uh, for non-urgent vaccine queries, there still are the um, email addresses available, but these have changed now. So take down those details because they're going to be really useful uh, for clinicians. Um, Linda's going to provide a bit more information on this later on, um, but in terms of the vaccine transfer and excess dose, wastage, expired stock stuff, that's really important to keep on top of, especially as um, in some areas we are seeing demand dropping just a little bit as we get closer to sort of those higher numbers in vaccine coverage. Um, so I'll just go on to the next slide. 
So one of the main things that's coming in this week is the primary close contact changes. So on Friday, um, for vaccinated, double-dose vaccinated primary close contacts who have come into contact with a positive COVID case, not in their immediate household, um, the uh, the isolation or quarantine time will now only be seven days. So this is really important to sort of flag that it's not that household close contact. So if you've got a COVID positive member in your household, you're still going to be in for the full 14 days because we recognise that that is a higher transmission risk. But it's going to be really, really important for all those students about to sit VCE exams. Um, it's something as well that I just wanted to flag in terms of thinking about care for patients in COVID-positive pathways. Um, as we sort of saw last week, a lot of the questions that we were getting weren't about clinical management because apart from those key escalation points that we're going to talk a bit more about today, um, a lot of the information that patients actually want to know and that we're seeing a lot of questions coming up to us at the Department of Health are just the logistic questions. So we want to make sure that as GPs, we're really able to answer those questions for patients because one of the key frustrations is not having a contact point. So patients don't want to be waiting for five hours on a phone line when they're already talking to somebody about their clinical information once a day, once every two days, that kind of thing. So if we can provide them with some knowledge at that point in time and have the answers for them, that is our aim. The furlough matrix will be updated um, with some of these um, changes related to the primary close contacts because this is going to be um, a real difference in terms of that moderate risk category. And it may mean realistically that that moderate risk um, is going to be a bit negligible because by the time you get sort of that five day, day five result back, you're really going to be at that seven days anyway for non-household vaccinated contacts. Um, so that's a positive for general practice in terms of that sort of maximum level of con uh, quarantine for vaccinated contacts. Priorities telephone support line for GPs um, that'll take you through to the Department of Health. Uh, they may not answer immediately, but that what they will do is they'll put you through to one of the clinicians um, or they'll sort of triage your um, information through to one of the clinicians. And as one of the clinicians at the Department of Health, we're often on an inevitable meeting or those kind of things, but we get those triaged emails or information. So we'll be able to call you back a lot quicker than if you're just going through one of the standard um, phone lines. So cleaning guide guidelines for workplaces, just really want to reinforce that have a look at it, um, get your internal cleaning staff to undertake the deep clean training online. Really short training, it just means then you don't ever have to go externally for deep cleaning. Um, rapid antigen tests have been now approved um, from the 1st of November and that's something that we're looking into uh, getting a bit more information on the policies that will sit around that um, and getting some pathways for patients who will come to us then after having tested positive at home and wanting to know what to do from there. So these are going to be the key steps that we're going to need to have some more knowledge around as we come closer to the 1st of November. So that's in our future. So just to the next slide. And Kate, sorry, uh, can I just clarify with yeah. that seven-day change, does that apply to primary care? Are we going to see those that furlough matrix um, be downgraded to seven days or does that remain 14? Yeah, look, so the 14 days, will it'll still depend to a degree on what your contact is, 
But for a lot of people, um, you will sort of fit in that moderate risk category. Um, it depends still on your PPE worn, all those kind of things. Uh, but there will be some alterations. I haven't seen the draft changes um, but one of the things that is um, worthwhile noticing in the um, seven-day primary close contact um, information that's coming out on Friday, it, you don't have to be two weeks post your second dose. And what they're doing is they're altering all the matrices to make sure that it's not two weeks after your second dose for fully vaccinated um, because they're recognising that that is okay. Mm-hmm as fully vaccinated now and they want consistency across the board. So unfortunately, I can't tell you what the new matrix will look like. I cannot even guarantee that it will be out definitely on Friday. Uh, But if you keep looking at the primary um, care guidance on the Department of Health website, that's where it's going to appear first. Thank you. Um, So COVID care resources, um, they're up there as always. I've just added in there um, just some links for the Children's Hospital guidelines um, if you do end up seeing kids within practice because they are a little bit different, uh, but ultimately it's no different to how you would respiratory assess a kid with bronchiolitis, influenza, anything like that. Um, So just the next slide which is health pathways. Um, We're getting closer to having the primary care positive care pathway um, just for general practice uh, in Western Victoria go live soon. Um, And that'll just help you guide through if you are seeing somebody um, via telehealth who is a positive patient within general practice. And it doesn't matter if they're already on a pathway or if you don't have a pathway that's um, in your region, such as the Barwon Southwest kind of clearly designated pathway where they're managed through their internal remote monitoring, or if it's Ballarat, um, or if you are monitoring themselves, uh, it'll help you through whatever you need. So that's all from me. Okay, thanks, Kate. Now uh, over to you, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Yeah, I'm uh, Jeff Urquhart. So just a really brief overview for a couple of minutes about the Bar and Southwest Public Health Unit um, remote patient monitoring, which has been up and running for quite a while. So we've got about 300 patients um, um, in our local region under this um, program at the moment. So just a few key points um, from this um, um, slide, um, which hopefully some of the GPs in the region will now actually have access to, um, it's been sent out by um, PHN. So basically, um, every positive case is, noti- is notified uh, to the PHU, and we have a clinician team, um, which includes um, about 10 part-time GPs, some ID registrars, um, who um, initially contact the, the patient with their positive result and then go through a bit of a um, a clinical assessment for um, their their risk assessment in terms of um, are they going to be a high, medium or low risk um, patient during their their 14 days. And um, once we've done this risk assessment, um, we also then do a brief sort of um, public health screen looking for um, any significant downstream effects of their positive case in terms of high risk exposure sites, schools, hospitals, um, you know, things like that. And um, once we've um, established those two things, we then um, initiate um, the, the, the commencement on our remote patient monitoring um, process, which is led by nurses. And um, they're either going to get, um, you know, 
Third daily phone calls, if they're a low-risk patient, um, if they're a medium-risk patient, then they will get um, you know, daily phone calls from our team. And if they're identified as high-risk from the, the clinical interview, then um, these patients will get twice daily um, phone calls and also they're offered um, um, biometric data, which, is, um, which, is, um, which we use um, oximetry and temperature probes just to look at oxygen saturations, et cetera. So, so these patients have been very well monitored. Um, I think the key points are is, is obviously escalation, which we're going to talk to today. So these patients can contact the remote patient monitoring team um, from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. And then their care is discussed with a, an allied health person. And if it's warranted um, or concerns, then this gets escalated to one of the clinicians who may be, you know, GP, ID reg, um, public health reg. And um, these patients are then, um, you know, talk through the phone system um, and decide whether they need to come into hospital. So I think the key things for hospital transfer is that um, if this needs to occur, we need to alert the, um, the uh, ID, I mean, the ED physician um, who, who's running the, um, who's the, the senior clinician on for the day before you do the transfer. So that's vitally important that everyone's aware and that the hospital knows it's a COVID positive patient and then uh, we alert the ambulance to do that transfer. So, look, um, I might leave it at that and hand, uh, hand back to you, um, um, Bianca. Okay, great, Jeff. So stay on the line. So just a few clarifying questions. Um, so I guess in in the um, so I've invited Jeff to just let us know about those escalation pathways because while as Jeff's describing, these pathways are, are managed by Bowen Health across the Bowen Southwest region. Warrnambool has a separate process. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah. Look, it's separate. It's very similar though. Yes. Um, uh, but, you know, it works the same. I mean, I think the other key points for GPs is that there'll be admission notification that the patient has been enrolled in this pathway. And there's also a discharge um, summary that gets sent to the, uh, to the GP um, via pulse or fax. Um, I think the other key thing is that GPs can still see these um, patients via telehealth or telephone as they're not admitted patients. So you're still able to um, do some um, consults on these patients. And that's very much appreciated by the remote point um, patient monitoring team for the non-COVID staff. Um, and so the escalation is, you know, generally comes through our remote patient monitoring team. Um, and after hours, um, if it's sort of after 10 o'clock to 8 a.m., then the patients are advised to contact the um, ambulance service directly um, and they can escalate their care and see the patient decide whether they need transfer to hospital. Okay, thank you. So, um, so for GPs in the Bowen and Southwest region, at the moment, the um, the, the 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 care is being um, provided by Bowen Southwest, but you'll be notified. You'll receive a referral letter to uh, alert you that your patient's enrolled in the program. As um, important um, part of the model, it enables that co co care because they're not an inpatient under Heath, so MBS billing can still take place. Um, but if someone does come, I think what you were saying, yeah, if someone does kind of come to you and you've got clinical concerns, the pathway for escalating care would be to contact for GPs in community to contact the AO. Is that right? Yes. Oh, no, I think the initial one would be to contact the remote patient remote, monitoring yes. team. Um, I'll just put those numbers in the chat. I mean, they are on that um, um, PowerPoint as well, but there's two numbers for general inquiries and also one for the um, team leader. So I think the team leader would be the one you could contact initially um, just to get some advice um, because they've also been monitoring the patient during the journey. 
Um, and so they could then escalate through the, uh, the clinicians on for the remote for the PHU, which I'd be a GP and ID reg, a PHU reg, and they, they can certainly do that. Um, but obviously, you've got any significant concerns that need immediate transfer, then, um, you know, I think you're entitled to contact um, the, uh, you know, the ED physician at Bowen Health. So they need to go to a COVID streaming hospital. That's the important thing. They can't just go to any of the local EDs um, unless it's an absolute, um, you know, triple zero emergency. So they would need to go through to, to Bowen Health as a streaming hospital. But prior to transfer with Ambulance Victoria, they need to have a discussion with the um, with the ED admitting officer. Okay, great. Thanks, Jeff. Well, thanks for the overview. And next week, we look forward to spending a little bit more time um, talking about remote patient monitoring. And we'll be um, inviting Bowen to come back and let us know a bit more about the monitoring processes. So, um, but thanks for giving us that, uh, that communications this morning, Jeff. And we'll seek to bring um, some communications from Ballarat um, next week. All right, Belinda, so over to you. Thanks for being our didactic presenter this morning. Um, we've set uh, the task of the learning outcomes this morning to think about um, trying to achieve for you guys this morning the, the, through this didactic that you can come away with recognising risk factors for clinical deterioration, recognise signs and symptoms of clinical deterioration with uh, with. Um, SARS-CoV-2 infection, recognise features suggestive of the need to escalate care and describe remote patient assessment via telehealth or video conference. Um, thanks. Over to you, Belinda. I was saying thanks very much for having me along and also thanks very much to Gemma because uh, although I thought I sent the slides through at 11pm last night, in fact I didn't, and so she got them at 7.27 and has managed to um, have them up here for me. So thank you very much, Gemma. Um, so I'm talking about the assessment and triggers for hospitalisation uh, for uh, COVID-19. Uh, uh, which are current as of um, October and obviously within this space everything changes so it's current now um, and um, hopefully will be for at least another uh, few days uh, at least. So next slide Gemma. Uh, so just a quick update before I launch in. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment is uh, an amazing reduction in the hospitalisation rate for people with COVID-19. So previously last year 10% of people were being admitted, this year it's two and a half percent and that's a direct result of vaccination. So um, the percentage going to ICU now is less than 1%. So that's a, a huge achievement. And this region in particular is, um, uh, I think, the best in Victoria, is it, uh, Bianca, with a, a first dose fax of 95% and a, a double dose fax of 75%. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, and that's being reflected in what we're seeing in hospital. So um, that's the, you know, the, uh, one of the biggest things that's happened. We've got 25 inpatients currently, um, between two and 300 in remote patient monitoring. Uh, and there's a citrovimab infusion clinic around four or five people a day accessing that. And just very quickly, thunderstorm asthma and the COVID conjunction. I'm just going to very briefly touch on that because this is thunderstorm asthma season and obviously the ambulances and, and um, people are tied up. Uh, so if somebody has a thunderstorm asthma event, it's going to be tricky for them to get in, uh, particularly with the overlay of COVID and the overlay of symptoms being similar in some respects. So the two things um, for your patients, uh, all your patients with asthma and all of them with um hay fever, if they can all have their own ventilator and puffer that they carry on them at all times, knowing how to use it, and also the advice to stay indoors on the stormy days, particularly in that windy period just before the storm hits, and also for the clinic to be prepared with extra supplies of perhaps some uh, uh, ventilator spaces and pregnancy line. So that's it for um, that side of things. Uh, and I've also got a resource in the Department of Health that I sent through very late to Gemma that uh, might be able to be disseminated uh, about that. So moving on to COVID-19. Uh, the assessment, um, as ever, consists of history and examination, uh, very familiar territory for everybody. Uh, and the history is not that similar to that for influenza or adenovirus. So 
Um, they're both viruses that have general symptoms, respiratory symptoms, and symptoms that are not respiratory. Um, and so um, for uh, uh, C19, the disease, uh, general sort of symptoms involve uh, fever and fatigue and aches and pains of the joints, muscles, and head. So headaches are a very common symptom. The respiratory symptoms, of course, are running nose, sore throat, cough, shortness of breath. Uh, the non-respiratory symptoms, largely gastrointestinal, so nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and anorexia. Um, symptoms of the complications, again, I've just divided them for ease into the general respiratory and non-respiratory. So the general sort of complications, the ones that are concerning are things like uh, sepsis and dehydration. So things like feeling dizzy, having a reduced urine output uh, are very relevant there. Um, clots are uh, a complication. So clots in the lung would give you pleuritic chest pain, hemoptysis, shortness of breath. Uh, clots in the leg would give you swelling of the leg and pain. Uh, the respiratory complications, things like pneumonia, um, you would find people uh, having an increased shortness of breath, um, being unable to lay flat at night perhaps, uh, and generally um, feeling pretty terrible with the usual symptoms of pneumonia. Uh, the non-respiratory complications, uh, um, cardiovascular, neurological, um, uh, and the cardiovascular ones, so chest pain, uh, palpitations, neurological, uh, are less common, but things like seizures, stroke, Guillain-Barre, uh, things like that, reduce, comp uh, reduce conscious state. Um, the assessment also includes the context, which is really important in the setting where people are at home for 14 days. And um, obviously, again, this is core territory. Uh, and with respect to who's at home, are uh, there caregivers or needs of children that uh, need to be met? Um, what's their mental state like? Um, so the social um, parameters are there, uh, how they're coping at home. <laughs> um, the vaccination status is relevant um, and um, that uh, is relevant not only because it's a risk factor for progression to severe disease, but also because um, non-vaccinated individuals are eligible for treatment with citrovimab. And um, in addition to um, the sort of the normal history taking, if you can determine the day of onset, that's also useful with respect to when considering therapies like citrovimab or bidesonide. Um, and the other, the third part of the context is the risk factors for severe illness. Uh, and um, you're probably all familiar with these as well. I've just um, sliced them up slightly differently. So if we go to the next slide, we'll have a look at that. So the risk factors for severe illness uh, include age more than 60 in the absence of another risk factor um, and more than 50 if there is one. Uh, smoking, diabetes requiring medication, obesity with a BMI of more than 30, chronic conditions of the lungs, heart, kidneys and liver, immunocompromised, um, pregnancy and uh, hypertension is also said to be a risk factor, although that um, is not on every list. Um, and so um, as well as having that link there to the CDC, which goes through things in a lot more detail, I have um, I made up a sentence for myself because I um, find it easier to remember things in the heat of the moment if I have some sort of um, uh, mnemonic or acronym to hang it off. And so a smoking doc is immunocompromised. So A for age. Uh, smoking is self-evident. Doc is diabetes, obesity and chronic conditions of the heart, lung, liver and um, kidneys. And um, uh, you know, compromise self-evident as well. And my daughter, who can draw because I cannot draw, has drawn me a picture of a smoking pregnant doc because that kind of covers it all. Uh, so next slide. Uh, so the assessment also includes examination. It's a little more tricky yeah, with telehealth. Um, so uh, obviously most people will be on phone. My experience through general practice, um, the uptake of video is not that huge. Um, we've got a, an app called AMS, and I'm, I'm guessing other practices have uh, their own way of um, uh, addressing things via video, which is obviously preferable. Um, uh, and there's other ways of doing it, but um, they're tricky because FaceTime gives away your phone number as I discovered, even though if you have your phone on silent, if you ring the patient on silent and then switch to FaceTime, yeah, your phone number becomes visible. And um, so yeah, I'm sure everyone's got their own way of um, trying to access um, video options. Ours is AMS. Um, so the uh, assessment 
general appearance, do they look well or unwell, just from the general look-see, uh, and things that, are, that can inform that uh, will um, include colour um, and whether they've got increased work of breathing, whether they're able to talk to you, whether they're able to concentrate, um, <clears throat> are they generally looking uh, good or bad. Um, I've just put airway in there because uh, I find it easier, again, to keep things simple. So A, B, C, D, E uh, as a primary assessment in any sort of emergency, even though this isn't necessarily an emergency, I'm still sticking to the A, B, C, D, E approach because uh, it means that I'm not going to miss things. So um, A for airway, B for breathing. So uh, effort, respiratory rate, um, SATs, cough. And the beauty of the remote patient monitoring is that uh, all these patients pretty much have been given SAPROs, which is such a luxury. So we can actually ask them, you know, what are your sets? What's your heart rate? Uh, and some people at home will have a blood pressure a machine, so we can ask them, you know, what's your uh, blood pressure in the event they know how to use it. Uh, with the circulation, uh, things, again, uh, standard things, heart rate, <clears throat> blood pressure if it's available, and the cap refill is one that you can do, and sometimes you can do this on the phone if you can um, talk a caregiver through the process of obtaining a cap refill, so pressing centrally for five seconds, uh, and um, uh, then letting go and um, working out whether the colour comes back in the two seconds. Um, the adults sometimes up to three, but again, putting it in with the general information that you have through the rest of the examination. Uh, D is for disability, so conscious state. So are they confused? Are they not confused? What's their general conscious state? Um, so uh, the ADCU is that quick acronym that uh, can uh, describe their conscious state. Uh, a being alert, B responding to voice, P responding to pain, and you unresponsive. So I think probably if they're anything other than alert, you'd be concerned. Um, and um, if it's appropriate, then a, a blood sugar level. And if, if it's applicable to that person, they'll probably have a BSL machine at home as well and the temperature. So assessment uh, of those uh, things. And next slide. Uh, so the triggers for um, hospitalisation discussion or for dialing triple O or for having a discussion with the, um, the remote patient monitoring team. And the reason I say discussion, I mean, it seems a bit um, uh, obviously, if you have airway compromise, you're going to go to hospital, but obviously if they've got a palliative care situation or they, um, uh, yeah, particularly that, I think, if they want to die at home because dying in hospital means you haven't got any of your family or friends around you. And so some people might prefer to stay at home, even though um, uh, there might be some uh, difficulties with that. So so the triggers, um, yeah, airway compromise is a trigger. Um, the breathing triggers involve severe shortness of breath. Hemoptysis is a um, uh, concerning uh, uh, symptom. Uh, respiratory rate of more than 30, sets less than 92% on room air at rest. So at rest, so if you stand up and you drop a little bit below 92, that's okay. Um, if you've got sets of less than 92% on room air at rest, then that's a trigger. Um, or 2% less than what the usual is for patients who have COID. So that can be down to 88 for some. Uh, the uh, circulation triggers, uh, things like chest pain, uh, fainting is, you know, obviously not good. Minimal urine output, pale, cold and clammy, delayed cat refill, heart rate more than 120, all of which are signs of dehydration or uh, sepsis um, or um, potentially um, ischemic um, chest pain or uh, other complications. And then uh, the uh, confusion, drowsiness and unconscious state as we were discussing. So triggers for um, hospitalisation or triple O, uh, A, B, C, D. Uh, you can, uh, I think, um, just uh, touched on this, but it's. Uh, it, um, I spoke to the ED um, cohort at our meeting on Tuesday, um, and everybody was unanimous that um, although there's the option to call the ID reg, uh, and they, I've also spoken to, they were very happy to receive calls. Um, if, if it's a consideration of sending them into hospital, if you could please call the supervising consultant in emergency, so on that number, uh, 42150136, which is the, the usual number to call when you're sending a patient in. 
And just to save you listening through all the options on the phone, it's option three if you want to speak to somebody. And the others are all about uh, clerical things. So, um, so 42150136, option three, and that'll get you through to the supervising consultant emergency if you want to discuss or if you want to send in a patient. Um, next slide. I think that's it. So I've just um, put down the source of information and I think they've already been presented. Um, uh, Kate put up a slide. Um, so there's, there's lots of really good resources uh, there with um, the COVID task force in particular having a very clear um, summary. And I've had a sneak preview at the, um, uh, at the clinical pathways that Kate's put together and it's fantastic because it's got these great drop-down menus. So there's lots of simplicity and then complexity if you want it. Uh, and um, I also spoke to the public health unit, the ID unit, the emergency department and other people working in the area including a colleague who works in the Northern Hospital catchment area where they have 3,000 patients on remote patient monitoring. Uh, and um, uh, she's got some um, interesting insights. Uh, so that's where I'll finish and I'm happy to answer questions as well. Well, that almost concludes our didactic content for this morning. We won't bring you the recording of the case discussion, but come along and join the discussion next week. We'll leave it this morning with the PHN update. Over to you, Linda. Uh, thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everybody. Just a really quick update in regards to COVID care pathways. We are um, working with both of the public health units and as their pathways get um, pulled together, we'll have more information for you. We're also um, just waiting on confirmation of some funding and resources that the Commonwealth will make available. So hopefully next week we'll have more details about that. In regards to our EOIs, we're, we're opening up a second round for um, targeting vulnerable populations. So if you're already doing in-home vaccinations and you'd like some funding to support that, um, just yeah, get, um, reply to that EOI. And also if you're thinking about or you'd like to do some extra uh, vaccination clinics or um, you're already working with vulnerable populations and would like some extra funding again, respond to the second EOI as well. Kate's talked about the exposure for um, a support for general practice. That's uh, some really good resources there. So I think just um, make sure you've got that number handy because it will provide a, a quicker route um, into getting some information from the department. Um, and on to the next slide, if you, we, we, every week it seems the Commonwealth has, has some extra Pfizer available. So we can, uh, we're sending out just um, prompts to general practices if you'd like some extra Pfizer, let us know. Also, on the other side of that, if you've got excess doses, we can usually find a home for Pfizer or else the public health units are really keen to have access to that. And um, again, AstraZeneca finding, finding homes for that is, is getting harder. So the VOC have a, a process for that. So that's my wrap today. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, everyone. Um, thanks so much, Anita, for bringing a case. Um, and thank you so much, Belinda, for guiding us through um, Jeff, we'll see you next week. Um, cheers, everyone. Take care and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and come along and join the discussion next week. Google Westfic PHN Project Echo COVID-19 Pandemic Response Network and you'll find a way to register. By registering, we'll send you reminders each week and we'll let you know what's coming up in the sessions and you'll also receive our resource pack that includes notes, podcasts, webinars, slide decks and any resources mentioned in the discussion. Thanks for listening.